everyone, great to have you back and especially great to see so many of you getting in touch on the Ask For More Facebook group. Join us in the group for lots of exclusive content and discussions about the topics that we cover in each episode. Now, back in series one, we featured social media and personal branding. Some of you have been in touch to ask how to elevate your profile or that of your business. So we had a wee look through our dress book and found two people with very interesting and at times conflicting views on how to do it. Alice Thompson's the co-founder of Social Bite. She received a Pride of Britain award last year and she's hosted everyone from Kate Middleton, Harry and Meghan to Leonardo DiCaprio and George Clooney. Many of us thanking her for that one. But until recently, she's taken a back seat publicly to her co-founder, Josh Littlejohn. Today, we find out why. Joining her is Stephanie Clark, director of one of Scotland's biggest PR companies, Big Partnership. She's worked on some epic campaigns, including the pandemonium with the pandas at Edinburgh Zoo and the digital UK switchover, which resulted in her surrounded by Vikings and stinking of petrol. I'll let her explain that one. Today, we're talking about how to use talent to elevate the profile of your brand and the dangers and downfalls of doing so. We also look at how to launch campaigns and find out from both of our guests about their PR fails. As always, we get some tips and advice and finish on inspo quotes. When it comes to profile, you have to ask, what is my story? Uh, welcome, Alice Thompson and Stephanie Clark. It's really great to have you both in the studio. Um, Alice, I met you last year for the first time at an event and I was really, really struck by you because I, I, I mean, you spoke amazingly well, um, Aww, but you, you also were just, I didn't realise that you were the co-founder of Social Bite. <laughs> and when Social Bite was first introduced into my understanding, or when it first came to light, I was very much aware of Josh Littlejohn, who's yeah. your co-founder. Well, I'm forgetting his name right as well, because people like to call him John Littlejohn a lot. Oh, John Littlejohn. Yeah. <laughs> like a little house in the prairie type name. <laughs> yeah. um, but I... I didn't. I wasn't aware that there was there was a co-founder. That it was both yourself and Josh. So why? I mean, we're here to talk about profile today, and I really think it's quite interesting to speak to you about about that and why maybe you you stepped back out of the limelight mm. and let him take the lead. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's such a complicated thing. I don't think we ever really planned anything particular out. We were just so busy trying to grow the business, and as and when press got excited about it, we wanted to accommodate that. But I guess ultimately, it came from an experience which was our first ever bit of press. It was within the first year of business and we had um, a journalist and photographer come down and I can't remember what news establishment they were from, but I wish I did because I would be happy to name and shame them. <laughs> um, but they, they came into the shop and, and Josh used to work around the corner in the office because mm -hmm. um, we actually ran a, a business awards ceremony at the same time as starting Social Bite. It was a crazy, stupid time. We just worked all the time. And I kind of ran Social Bite, the, the shop. Um, so they came in and they said, we're looking for the manager. We're here to do a, a piece on Social Bite. And I was like, oh, hi, yes, you can speak to me. And they went, yeah, no, but the um, like the boss, we need to speak to the boss. And I'm like, I'm Alice, I'm the co-founder, can I help you? Because I think Josh and I had kind of maybe not spoken that morning about the fact that this was happening. And uh, that was quite typical of us. We were just <laughs> so busy all the time. Fly by the seat your pants. Yeah, yeah. literally, exactly. And uh, eventually Josh kind of walked in the door and they went, ah, yes, him, that's who we're looking for. But they just couldn't fathom the fact that I was a young female and that I, I was in any way sort of to do with owning this business. So um, even though I told them I was co-founder, I was printed as shop manager and Josh was printed oh. as founder. And um, I think I just kind of... I felt mad at Josh and then Josh and me spoke about it and there was no reason for me to be mad at him. He could, has no control mm. over that situation. But um, 
yeah, I think ultimately that kind of made me feel a bit like, well, I, I don't even want to compete then if, if this is going to be how it is. And uh, people are more, you know, people were literally coming and doing stories on Josh, having photos of him in the front window and printing that he was like the Che Guevara of Scotland and all of this sort of crazy stuff. And, and I was nowhere to be seen. So I think I just went, I'm going to be the quiet, resentful one rather than fighting my way <laughs> to the front. And uh, and then, yeah, the last few years, I kind of been, the company's got to a size where it doesn't need mm -hmm. somebody like, you know, one of the founders in the shops or in the central kitchen and or area managing the shops. I don't have to be quite so logistical anymore. So I've started my own projects and as such, I've had a lot more, yeah, stuff like this, really. What sort of impact did that have on you at the time? Because you were 21 when you started Social Bite. Yeah. And, you know, at, at that time, still very much building up your own confidence. And we talk a lot about having imposter syndrome. So, mm. I mean, oh, my gosh, that, what that must have done to you at the time. Yeah, absolutely. No, it was it was horrible. Like, it, it really, it really, really felt... Um, I, I, you know, it, it was horrible. <laughs> I wondered why I was there. I wondered why I was working this hard. But, you know, at the same time, Josh and I would have conversations around, well, does it really matter which one of us gets famous for this? This isn't the point of what we're doing. So at the same time, I kind of went, yeah, do you know what? I want to be in the stores, serving mm -hmm. the homeless community, speaking to all the guys that come and get fed from us each week and, and actually doing the work. And then it genuinely yeah. shows such incredible resilience to have that attitude and to have been able to develop that because, um, you, you know, it's a it's, media is a very powerful thing, and to to essentially be have them put you in your place, decide where your place is, must must feel and must have felt really horrific. Yeah. Um, St Stephanie, you are a former journalist. What do you make of that? Well, it's not the first time I've heard that type of story, and probably won't be the last. Um, mm. I think, you know, it's it's really unfortunate. Most for the most, I think for the most part, that probably doesn't happen. But I think you know, there's never too much planning that can be done up ahead of those types of interviews and they probably hadn't done that yeah, uh, but ultimately I suppose when they then encountered you it should have been a case of well actually great you know we've got another founder here we can speak to both of you mm. um, but yeah not a great story to be fair it doesn't shine a great light on journalism no it, it certainly doesn't yeah. I never let the like, facts get in the way of a good story I feel story. like the last few years though I have these conversations a lot people been like why didn't we know about you and I'm like I don't really know I guess that story happened and I kind of shied away a bit mm. and Josh kind of flew and I just kept doing the social bite thing. But these conversations happen a lot more now. Do you so. think that if it happened now, you would do things differently? If it happened now, I would be, can I swear on this thing? <laughs> <laughs> can I? Get it out. Well, I, we all know how I you feel. Shan't, I shan't. <laughs> but yeah, no, I was effing, I would be effing livid if that happened now and it yeah. wouldn't happen. I would be, I would phone the establishment, get them, because now I understand, like now that I'm, I'm 30 this year, so I, I still very much, I'm just growing up and mm -hmm. um, I'm starting to understand the significance of seeing someone like me succeeding for the teenagers that I go into schools and deal with and, and the girls that look up to me mm -hmm. and think I'm a rock star because I have met some celebrities and they don't realize that I've been battling with my own internal, like trying to figure out where my place in the world is the last few years. But if I can make them think that they can do it, then it's having yeah. real role models, isn't it? Rather yeah. than, I mean, profi profile is so, so important. And I, I wonder, I mean, uh, Stephanie, one of the things I noticed when I was trying to research you was just that you don't, you, you're not really available online. <laughs> I'm not. Well, I've you always, work in PR. I work in PR, but I've always been um, of the belief that I should never be part of the story. So, um, mm. like Dominic Cummings. <laughs> I think it, it's, you know, you do see, 
meet quite a lot of people in this profession that do publicise themselves mm -hmm. and promote themselves, but I've, I've never done that. And I've, I, you know, I really enjoy the job that I do, but I enjoy promoting people that I work with, the individuals, the brands, and I've kind of never really um, got into promoting myself. So, so is that like it's you don't have me. social media? Or I do have social media, yeah. but I'm sort of more of a voyeur. I use mm -hmm. it for, for looking at, um, you know, for work and for for personal reasons, but I don't tend to. Um, I suppose it's kind of coming from a risk averse background. Yeah. Um, I think you have to be very careful nowadays. When I started out in the industry, you know, it was more fax machine. You know, standing by the fax machine in the ashtray. Um, you know, um, faxing. Oh, the golden age of journalism. Press releases. It was an ashtray. One medium, pretty much. You know, nowadays you have so many different channels yeah. that you have to work with. It's very instantaneous. Um, you know, with working with celebrities, you'd be very careful, I suppose, mm -hmm. of what is said and, and historically. Um, and I've always, you know, it's worked for me in terms of my own profile. But certainly, I, I think it's um, people work in different ways. But it's it's the way that I work. But you started as a journalist, mm -hmm. and then I love this term that we all seem to use when you move into PR that you've moved over to the dark side. Um, what what instigated that change for you? I was working at the BBC at the time, and in fact, it's one of the directors at Big who um, offered me a job. Um, at the time and I thought oh god PR no not for me and again it was in an era sort of late 90s where PR is probably not as widespread as it is now mm. so I hadn't really thought about it and then I thought okay fine and everybody I went then to work with were ex-journalists so it was a really easy transition for me because oh. you know it was it was much about the story um, you know the, the basic skills were exactly the same but nowadays I think it's a much more difficult transition probably mm -hmm. for journalists to go into PR because the, the, the whole you know the, the system has changed in terms of digital so mm -hmm. you have to learn a whole load of new skills mm -hmm. um, but uh, it was a good transition and I've been NPR for like 20 years I think now. Yeah. So. I mean that's yeah some record that you've got so in terms of talking about profile you know I find you fascinating because uh, later on we'll be discussing some of the, the campaigns that, that you've worked on and you really have collected some fabulous stories as well over the years. Um, Alice when you when you first moved into um, when you first started out you were working in events weren't you yeah. and you lasted a couple of years in university? Yeah I lasted two years in university and then I dropped out um, because I knew I would fail my exams if I stayed and I didn't want my parents to think that I failed, so I left. And uh, I went and got an internship with an events company for two years, and that was Josh that hired me. So, yeah. And so th is that how you met? Yeah, yeah, we met. Um, Josh interviewed me for an unpaid internship, which I was delighted to take because it made it look to my parents as though I knew what I was doing. <laughs> and, um, and, yeah, then within the month, he asked if I would stay and work on commission, and I had no money anyway, so mm -hmm. commission sounded better than nothing. And yeah, and then we ended up working together for two years on events uh, before we actually came to Social Bite. But within six months, you were running the ski and snowboarding. I think it was event. within like two months, but yeah, That's yeah. Um, so yeah, Josh had decided he wanted to do this thing called the Scotland Ski and Snowboard Show. There hadn't been one at the SECC or the SEC Hydro. CCCC, yeah, whatever it is now. <laughs> there hadn't been one in Scotland like that um, for about 20 years at the time. And there's a huge one in London. And Josh sort of thought, well, if it can work in London, it should be able to work mm. in Scotland. And um, he dreamt up this idea, but he, the guy that was running it um, quit within the first month or two of me being there. And I think Josh had sussed out that I was a doer. Mm -hmm. And if he gave me something, I would do it. So I did. But you, you and Josh were in a relationship as well, though, for, for five years, was Yeah. It? Um, and the, the reason I'm bringing it up is uh, just to relate back to that headline, because um, Steffi and I were chatting about it before, and we just thought, you know, it is a really great headline to have you as a couple that 
you started Social Bite yeah. and that you were doing this thing together. And it's a really missed, to it's a missed top line, yeah. a missed headline for them. Um, but I also love that um, you decided to, to part ways as a couple and that was because... <laughs> yeah, yeah, we decided to part ways because I think we realised that we, we loved Social Bite more than we loved each other. <laughs> and I think it's like, I don't, anyone listening or if either of you have ever, you know, worked with a partner, it becomes the only thing you ever discuss like as we were growing so fast mm -hmm. as well there was a million issues to talk about constantly while we were serving the homeless community so you know you had people with very complex issues oh, gosh, yeah. and we have some hilarious stories from the first few years of just really naive things that we did and um and so yeah it was constantly talking about work and that i think we almost walked around a daze for three years, I think, thinking that we were, you know, still at the place we were at a few years ago, but actually completely in love with Social Bite. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah, we've, we've got our own partners now. My partner actually rather incestuously works for Josh and I. This is amazing. And uh, we get on really well, and Josh's partner um, is amazing, and we have dinners, and yeah, it's like it's the best situation. I, I hope do our find kids it will play together. Look at the dynamic of like relationships <laughs> at work, especially, and I think you're, you're so brave because I tried working with my dad for a while. <laughs> And oh, I think I lasted about two months, and we well, just decided uh, we, that we would, we, could, we couldn't really separate as father and daughter. Yeah. So we have to just stop. It's hard. I definitely learned my lesson now. I will never. I'm never hiring a friend again. I'm. I'm never working with okay. a partner yeah. again. And Jamie, my partner, and I work on very separate projects. So at you Social keep it. Bite. Yeah. So that's definitely a new thing. <laughs> now, Stephanie, you um, have worked on some incredible campaigns over your career, um, and I think that this is the distinction sort of between you both is that you're obviously working on a number of, of high profile campaigns for clients, for, for brands, for products, for people. And obviously with yourself, Alice, it's very much about your business and how you elevate the profile of your business, but also potentially of yourself, because now you, you very much are the face of, of, of Social Bite. Oh, um, you. you are, for sure. <laughs> I, I honestly have think that, that it's been the greatest revelation for me is understanding that there is an incredible woman behind Social Bite, because awesome. I've loved the brand. <laughs> um, for Steph, tell us about some of the campaigns that you've worked on, because um, the one that jumped out initially to me was the pandas, because I was a journalist at the time when that when that story broke and when, when pandemonium was yeah. sweeping the nation. <laughs> I don't think anybody would have missed the pandas when they came over. Um, it was a huge campaign. It was kind of one of the best campaigns to work on and one of the worst at the same time. It was massively complex and I suppose a lot of people within the public wouldn't have really understood the amount of work that went into it. Mm. Um, there were many, many partners, you know, from UK government to the Scottish government to the Chinese government. Um, amidst it all were the pandas who may or may not have been coming. We had FedEx that was mm -hmm. bringing the pandas over. So oh. there was quite, in terms of complicate or um, com complexity there were a lot of partners to negotiate with or with it was agendas. a global story it was global huge. story yeah. and it really captured the public imagination who doesn't love a panda oh absolutely I, I remember hearing it on the radio in the morning and everything and yeah. for scotland it was a massive coup you know to get yeah. these the two mm. pandas that were coming over potentially to mate um they just but they just didn't fancy each other did they no <laughs> they weren't and they don't really do don't they do it like every 10 years or something so you have yeah, to wait yeah there's, there's only a very fine like that it's a very small window each year that they can mate and if they miss that opportunity Opportunity, then it's it's gone. So they can basically sleep together once a year. Oh, uh, oh, <laughs> once might a year suit some again. people, might suit some. Um, but the other the other one, which I think is just amazing, and actually really, it's a sort of behind the scenes um, story that you have from your work with with Digital UK, which was the biggest public information 
um, project that was launched since World War Two. I think so, yeah, because I mean, everybody has a telly or most people have a telly at some point. Um, and uh, this was about the changing from analogue to digital. So the standard, you know, four or five channels, which everybody loved to get them to move to the 25, 30 channels on Freeview was quite complex and, mm -hmm. and involved, you know, a switch over every part of the UK. So I was involved with it for about five years. Um, so we had to do various uh, local stories around the UK over that period that resonated with those particular communities. Mm -hmm. All quite challenging and very challenging if you had a mascot called Digital who, um, well, there was a Bible that kind of went with Digital because I think originally for the first actor that was was in the mascot, and I don't know if you remember what he looked like. He no, but I remember the whole thing. I remember adverts and stuff about it. It's yeah. so funny. It yeah. was, you know, it's coming, get ready. You know, this is what's going to happen. So Digital had a sort of head with an antennae on the top of it really? with a big yeah. round head, yeah, okay. big round body, a tick, which is <laughs> the digital tick for I've switched to digital. Oh, yep. And then these hands that were kind of a little bit like a sort of Vulcan, you know, greeting. <laughs> so I, we ended up going up to the Shetlands. It was during up Helia. This was to tie into the community and, and you know, get a little bit of exposure around it. Arrived in the Shetlands, hideous weather. Um, raining constantly <laughs> and the actor that we had booked for Digital who was on board suddenly decided that she had claustrophobia when she put her head on. So I was then challenged with a whole load of Uphelia Vikings or geysers, geysers, oh, yeah. you call them? Yeah, yeah, yeah I think geysers. you can call them Vikings. Yeah, Geysers, geysers, can't remember. Anyway, so they had their burning flames. Something had happened with Digital en route. So he was smelling a fuel, a oh, petrol of oh, some no. kind. Oh, I had to get... Digital. I know, and then there was quite a lot of. Uh, so basically, the, the outfit was for somebody five foot four. I'm five foot six and a half. Oh, adding yeah. a half in there. You've got some hate on you, yeah. Because my mate uh, had to put that on, then had to manage the photocall. All I could see was these burning flames around me, mm. smelling of petrol. And <laughs> I couldn't really see anything at all, actually. And, and what I hadn't realised was I put my gloves on hand uh, back to front. So all I was doing was doing a, a sort of a very rude gesture, a rude gesture <laughs> to all the media that were there. And that was, of course, oh, front page. So how on earth do you cope when you're in, in you, you go from being on one side of the campaign, essentially managing and running it to the next minute you're in a, 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 a costume, stinking of petrol, surrounded by Vikings, <laughs> holding flames, giving the vicky to everyone? <laughs> well, it wasn't planned. And I suppose that's the key is, you know, no, well, plan, plan, plan for every campaign that you do, but you can never quite mm. anticipate what might go wrong. Mm -hmm. I mean, and, and there is a lot that, that, that can go wrong. And I think we'll probably end up talking a little bit more about when it can go wrong and when it does go I love right. people like that. I love people like you, though. Like, I, I'm the same. Like, just get stuck in. If there's a problem, you're, like, you're in the outfit. I love that. It's just like, <laughs> it's just getting done. Someone needs to take one for the team, don't they? We need they? more of that. We need more if of that If only the, the pandas world. thought the same. If yeah. only the pandas were willing <laughs> to take one for the team. <laughs> yeah, they don't do what you want them to do. <laughs> um, Alice, obviously we can't you know, go a whole podcast without mentioning some of the, the huge names and big celebrities mm. that you've secured for Social Bite and for the Business Awards, yes. especially. And that's, I think, there's, they, they run together. Exactly, um, well done, but exactly. We've got Bob, Bob Geldof, George Clooney, Leonardo DiCaprio. I mean, thank you for yeah, that. Yeah. But you've, you've, you've had an amazing array of, of, of celebrities yeah. coming to visit the sandwich shops at Social Bite in Edinburgh. Yeah. Um, how on earth do you get these big names? Let's start with like George Clooney. How did okay. that happen? So it's, um, 
I don't want to use up too much airtime, so I'm going to have to really condense this. But yeah, it does kind of start with the business awards, and it's this really clever, incredible, serendipitous thing that everything lined up. And then once you have a couple of A-listers, it's much easier to get other people. But um, the business award, the Scottish Business Awards, was mine and Josh's next thing after the ski show um, that we were working on. This was before we ever had Social Bite in our minds, and we we wanted a keynote speaker who was going to be globally renowned. Um, because we wanted the business awards to be for the, I mean, it's just mental now thinking about it. Because Josh must have been twenty three and I was twenty at the time, so I don't know. How, I don't know how we pulled it off, but we wanted to create a really elite Scottish business awards because we were being invited to like lots of different award ceremonies, and I'm sure you guys have been to like lots of different award ceremonies. A lot of them are just crap. I can say crap, right? Oh, you <laughs> yeah, they're just you a bit. They're just a bit it. boring. You know, you just you sort of get shoved at a table with people you don't want to talk to. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that you just want to get out of the thing by the end of the evening. And we wanted to put on like a proper award ceremony that was going to be red carpets, like a bit of celeb, a bit of press and all of that. So yeah, to do that, you have to have a globally renowned person that even the richest people in the country would pay to come and see because obviously they're not going to come to most award ceremonies because they could already have any of the experiences that you could try and sell mm -hmm. them. So, so we ended up um, kind of falling over this guy, Professor Muhammad Yunus, who was a Nobel Peace Prize winner and had written an incredible book about social business. And we thought, oh, this guy's a total business maverick. That would be a world-renowned but kind of rebellious move to have this guy who's, he kind of turns business up on its head and says that business should be owned by the people and operated for the people. So it's very different to what we do here, but it's very successful in Bangladesh. He has like over 50 social businesses. So we ended up in Bangladesh trying to convince him to speak at the business awards. He couldn't do it. So we last minute booked Bob Geldof in a panic and the same thing where, you know, we, we paid his charity, not him. So that's how quite often you, you go about it. And that, yeah. this is something that you've decided to do as a business is you, you won't pay celebrities. Yeah, we'll pay their charity. Like we're all for raising money for charity and Social Bite wants to give 100% of its profits to charity. And sometimes that's our own charitable work. And sometimes that's grassroots projects that our homeless customers will tell us like this is where we think that money should go. Um, but yeah, that's the important thing to know about it really. Do you find that surprising? Steph, that that's a, a kind of strategy to, 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 to secure celebrities it, is by pay, offering to pay their charities rather than to pay them directly. No, I think that's a good option to do that because I think um, you know most of the public probably nowadays know that charities are on board that uh, in some capacity they've been paid. So um, I think that's a very healthy way of looking at yeah. it. And I think, f you know, we, I think we chatted about this earlier, it's, it's this perception maybe, um, you know, getting a celebrity with a brand is really, really key that's right. And I mm -hmm. think nowadays there's a degree of scepticism around brands using celebrities because they probably think they've been rolled, rolled out, don't know much about why they're there, mm -hmm. and it's a tick box exercise mm -hmm. to get a bit of coverage. Um, yeah. I think you guys have got it really right because you know they've they've given of their time. They're of the right caliber, yeah. and you can guarantee that you know A-list celebrities are not going to get involved from, in a brand like yours unless yeah. they're really bought mm -hmm. into it. Yeah. And I think you can see the difference between that and some brands that go for maybe not A-listers as much because they can't get them. Number yeah. one, yeah. but to for a sort of tick box celeb, mm -hmm. which I would never advocate at all. Yeah, yeah. yeah absolutely. So, so you you approached George Clooney. People, how do you even well, begin so it approaching? Went from, Did you just tweet them? So it's a, it's a whole web of stuff, I suppose, and I want to keep it short. So, the, so we ended up having Bob Geldof do the first business awards. Um, that sort of pleased our rebellious desire for mm -hmm. the message we wanted to deliver with the keynote speaker, but was high enough profile that people would still pay to come and see him talk. And then on that first awards night, we also had to create a charity auction. 
um, of prizes that even the richest people in the country would want to bid on. So it's quite a challenging charity auction to put together. So one of the things we did is we reached out to the Clinton Foundation and we said, so again, not Clinton, but the charity. And we said, how much money do we, do we need to raise for you for you to give us like an afternoon with Bill Clinton to auction off? Mm -hmm. And they were like, OK, so um, if you raise 60 grand and pay us 30, then, you know, split, split the prize money with us, then you can have an afternoon Bill Clinton to, to auction off. So we had this contact with the Clinton Foundation from the first year and we went the second year. Josh just thought, wow, well, we've got that contact there now. We should just ask them, well, well how much do we have to pay the Clinton Foundation for Bill Clinton to come here and speak? Because we were sort of quite surprised mm -hmm. that that had come off um, in the first place in the first year. And they came back and went, oh, that's more money to the Clinton yeah. Foundation. And we were like, well, if we make them the charity beneficiary of the event, the event is still 100% for charity. It's just not for our charity. Mm -hmm. So the next year we had President Bill Clinton. And that was very much to raise the profile of, of Social Bite. Of Social Bite. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah. Sort of, yeah, it was. I mean, we kept running the Business Awards because it was such a brilliant, tried and tested, successful event. And it was an amazing way to elevate our profile. Yeah. Um, and we played a video the second year. Um, the first year we launched Social Bite, the one with Bob Geldof. And, um, and I remember there's a, there's a really funny, if you YouTube it, you can find Bob Geldof's talk at the Business Awards the first year. And there's a funny bit where he goes, this social bite sandwich thing, maybe it'll work. And I, I could, it's funny looking back at it now. I'm like, well, here we are eight years on. It's really, really worked, Bob. <laughs> um, but yeah, wasn't so, looking in his crystal ball that day. Yeah, really. totally. And so yeah, the um, the following year, we um, we had Bill Clinton come. We paid his foundation for him to come, and then we played a video of here's social bite the shop. We've done it, and here's how it functions. And we had some of our um, people who would literally like employed off the streets in the video. And then we said, now please bid generously in the charity auction for Social Bite. So we still got a little bit of money to expand Social Bite. Mm -hmm. So that was also kind of explains how shops started popping up everywhere. It's not because we were made of money or because mm -hmm. uh, we were taking out crazy loans. We were, we were using this business awards as like an engine to propel what we were doing with Social Bite and to elevate um, the profile. It was. It was honestly all kind of almost an accident. It was mm -hmm. it was thought out yet accidental. And once you have President Bill Clinton, it's easier to get Richard Branson, and then it's easier to get George Clooney, and then it's easier because to get you have the association and you've raised the profile in us exactly. of the business that people yeah. associate it with. Yeah, the, I think the best piece of advice I could ever give is if you're actually involved in something that's fairly credible and you think you might have a chance at getting somebody, don't use your first paragraph to say I hope you're well. I hope you don't mind me getting in touch. Shut up. Just say, hi, I'm getting in touch. I've had George Clooney, Leonardo DiCaprio and Richard Branson speak at this event the last three years. We'd really like this. Because the people getting those emails, right, you being in yeah. PR must get them all the time. Yes. <laughs> you, like, if you don't catch your attention and you don't realize the level of credibility of something, the, the things you're leading with immediately, I don't know about you, but I have too many emails. I'm like, bored, done. Like Sometimes you just need to get it in the subject line and that's yeah. the only bit that they read. Yeah, totally. I actually really struggle with a lack of pleasantry. I'll be, I'll be perfectly honest with you. Emma, yeah. hi, how are you doing? What's your favorite color? <laughs> yeah. What were you doing last Saturday? <laughs> well, I read an article recently that said it's better to end with that because apparently that sounds more authentic. I don't know. It feels a bit weird for me as well, just going straight into an email. But apparently saying, hope you had a great week or hope you had a great weekend or something at the end of an email is more in it's considered more genuine than okay. the beginning. I mean, there's a lot in the psychology of that. But but I think it's great advice, actually, to yeah. really think about what you're saying and how you're approaching approaching people. But I mean, obviously, the use of celebrities has it's been around for a long time with with brands and with companies. And um, Stephanie, working in PR, you must find that 
a lot of, of, of brands and potentially a lot of your clients are looking to use celebrities to either boost their profile or of, of, of a brand, a product or, you know, business. What what are your thoughts around using celebrities? I think it's changed a bit as well because of, you know, digital. And um, I think people are slightly nervous now because you can never tell. It's a bit like working with kids and animals, you know, you can never really tell what, what, what might happen or blow up afterwards. So there is a little bit of, of risk analysis that you have to do up front. I think when you've got a, you know, a brand like Social it's slightly different because absolutely everybody knows what you stand for now you know you've done it you know absolutely right um, I think brands that are looking to work with celebrities need to be really clear as to what that celebrity brings to that brand it can't just be what I said you know as a tick box so there is a, a degree of risk analysis that goes right with it and and for the audiences they need to know that that celebrity is right for that brand you know yeah. you can very clearly tell when a when a brand has, has brought in a celebrity that doesn't really know what they do and um, they probably paid quite a lot of money for them mm -hmm. and there's if if you're left with a feeling of why mm -hmm. at the end of the day when you look at that when you go to an award ceremony or when you look at a picture or you look at a headline mm -hmm. and you think hmm yeah. why then you've got it wrong so it's just not the right fit you mean like you're pure you're purely using them for their their status rather yes. than it being in line with Exactly. You've got their the, belief systems or their interests. Or and I think that's how it's changed now. You've got a sort of values based audience and certainly now with millennials and Gen Zs and, mm. you know, they're much more tapped into, you know, what, you know, what a brand stands for. Yeah. And the celebrity has to be used for that purpose as well. So, um, or not used, but partnered with yeah, for that yeah. purpose. So I think um, we're much more sceptical now as I to the use so. of celebrities. You have to be yeah. very careful. Mm. You know, I think it's, it's really interesting that you um, go in charity first. And, and it is about the charity. So when you're trying to secure celebrities, it's about getting them for mm. the, their you're securing them for their beliefs and what they've invested yeah. their, their time in, rather than it being yeah. for anything. I, else. I would say that, and, and often when you were working with a PR or a comms company, um, we would advise that that approach be made by the charity or by. The, the brand itself, because often if you're using an agency, albeit we do quite a lot of the work behind the scenes, mm. they might see that as a bit of a barrier. So mm. again, we kind of advise about that best approach about how mm. you do it, which is key. Yeah. Um, Maybe we ought to be working together. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Maybe we're forming a partnership here, who knows? Yeah, the podcast is going to bring us together. <laughs> you heard it here first, to sing. Um, you, you obviously do have this 20-year career, Steph, which is... Uh, you so know, old. It's no, you are incredibly experienced, <laughs> wise and worthy. Um, and I loved hearing about the alcohol awareness campaign that you did, because similar to dig digital, mm -hmm. um, there's there's always a fallout from campaigns or when it doesn't go exactly to plan and um you know we all find that especially when we're starting a business and you'll know this Alice is that you're kind of bringing in lots of people friends and family mm. to help you out and help to build something mm. um and that's kind of what happened with the the alcohol awareness campaign I think it was a massively successful to give you a bit of context around it it was a Scottish government campaign ooh, back in 2011 12 mm -hmm. remember that so many campaigns um but they it was, it was run by the Scottish government and it was alcohol behavior change so it was looking at a particular demographic of women between I think it was 30 to 55 round about that um which uh was looking about um alcohol behavior how you you know drink at home and thinking about the impact that it has on your life so that was it in a kind of nutshell and we were um doing the awareness around that so the idea for that was we we badged an app that was already um there which kind of looked at if you 
put in the amount of glasses that you drank per week of a certain mm. type of wine, that's, um, it showed you potentially the, the impact it would have on your appearance because we knew that with that wow. particular demographic mm, that, that is it was a good brilliant. appearance. Does this app still exist? <laughs> think so I'm not under but probably right. it's not under we'll on the, the I need the that app in my life <laughs> so it showed you potentially the impact of what, it, what you would look like from having um from reducing your your um your drink size so ultimately to get case studies for this for people to try the app and it absolutely tapped into the right demographic because when it did get coverage they'd, they'd changed Angelina Jolie's face they'd used a lot of celebrities oh, of what she might look like mm. or, or of what you know whoever looked like but so I couldn't get any case studies because ultimately I think with a lot of these types of campaigns people don't want to be they find it they don't want to be associated with a certain stigma which is mm. is difficult mm. so with quite a lot of these you do end up using colleagues friends and family and um, in this case I used quite a lot of friends and one of my friends got in touch to say why is my face on Times Square and it's been up there you oh know, that escalated me. and of course it wasn't it's a half of her face which looked great and then the other half you know which looked like and this is because it, it, it got global pickup um, it was this it campaign. hugely successful and um, I think it was uh, in, in the States it was ABC ran it for like 10 minutes um, there was various different countries that got back in touch from different you know different governments that said we'd like to run the same type of wow. campaign it, it huge amount of traction probably because with the app you know we tapped right into that yeah, moment yeah. of where and also the we'd done a lot of, of insight based research so appearance was was a big uh, driver but for that audience. your friend was just pure raging at you well <laughs> yeah she's still got that picture to be fair but, uh, Honestly, but if you think about it I mean Times Square that's like that's she's up amazing. there with Beyonce exactly. Lady Gaga fair enough she looked like a bag of spanners um, but uh, she should have <laughs> been thanking me really <laughs> That is a brilliant campaign. I know. Fantastic. And, but, but to be honest, what an amazing thing for her as well to be able to say that she's had her face up in Times Square. I mean, it exactly. doesn't matter what it's for. You know, that's like, if you believe it, <laughs> I'll put it on your CV. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if you believe that. Um, now, Alice, you have not only had uh, Hollywood royalty come to visit Social Bite, you've had the Windsors, you've had <laughs> real royalty visiting. <laughs> and, you know, I think, I do think that's incredible that, um, you know, just in February, you had the Duchess of Cambridge, Kate Middleton, come to the shop. How did that happen? Yeah. Because that is like, in, in terms of like ultimate celebs that you want to be attached to your brands that potentially are safest, let's ignore Prince, uh -huh. let's, let's ignore Prince Andrew. <laughs> What's just happened there? Let's everybody for the rest of time ignore Prince Andrew. <laughs> <laughs> Um, but he's always going to be associated with Pizza Express, just to say. Yeah. Which is great. <laughs> um, yeah, no, it was amazing. I think I think because, because I think that the thing to understand about Social Bite story, it's not that we're, like, and I have people that will, like, message me and ask, like, can you get me in touch with George Clooney? And I'm like, no, I freaking can't. <laughs> like, I'm not actually mates with these people, and neither is Josh, you know, like, that's not how these things work. You know, you book people for a thing, they come, they do their thing, hopefully mm -hmm. they get a bit involved and you get a bit extra out of them if they're into it, and then they because go. Because also in the age of GDPR, not to be a stickler. <laughs> yes. You can't really go sharing people's information. Absolutely. I can't believe Absolutely. I just said that. My old production no, manager would be true. so proud. Well, it's, it's, it's tough. That yeah. has changed a lot of what we do. Absolutely. And, uh, and I mean, beyond that, I've often told people like, well, we won't damage our reputation mm. in order to help Very you good. get yeah, something from, you know, that you have to build your own thing, like mm -hmm. create your own idea, your own approach. That kind of frustrates me because I'm like, we spent years working 16 hours a day and we got really lucky. But like, you've got to go and put your own work Absolutely, into your own yeah. approach sort of thing. Of course, you want to ask for advice, though. I get that. But um, but yeah, I think once you have like the celebrities that had been involved by, by the time we had 
Meghan and Harry, what was that, two years ago? Mm -hmm. By the time we had them, we'd already had George Clooney and Leonardo DiCaprio. So I think if you're looking at charities to visit in Scotland and you see one that's already handled quite big um, public figures visiting, then you might have thought as royals, oh, well, that's a good place that we could go to then and see what they do. So I suspect that's how Harry, because we they approached us. We never tried to make this happen. So we had Buckingham Palace they get in touch. You. Yeah. That's incredible. Yeah, this is mad. Do you realise that's a little bit bonkers? It is bonkers. <laughs> I mean, it is bonkers. I, I'm also I'd like. Love it if there was a tweet from Harry and Meg's. Right, you know. Yeah, I'm sure I, they, they definitely posted out some stuff and they were amazing. And then I guess when Kate was looking, to, I think she was doing a trip around the whole of the UK that day. So she stopped in Wales, Northern Ireland, uh, Scotland, England. She did a stop everywhere that day. Wow. So yeah. again, I think they would have looked and gone, where, where have we been before that we really liked their message? And I think they liked what we stood for and they had a successful visit last time. And so they were happy to come back with Kate. Um, the Duchess uh, <laughs> last month. Yeah, yeah, you know, honestly, like it's amazing to see um, that, that now, and, and this is what you spoke to me when we were chatting in a, in a research call about the snowball effect, you mm. called it. And it's, it's amazing to see that once you have a number of big, you know, A-listers, that essentially they're now coming to you um but it's true I, I mean you spoke about I harry mean, and not which enough. is fantastic <laughs> not enough keep it coming keep it coming the royals are keen and <laughs> um, as a brand what are harry and megan now I don't, it's a difficult one isn't it because they were so you know front and center and i think everybody kind of loved her when she first came over and i think um the decision for whatever reason is completely up to them i suppose how they've handled it is, is slightly different because mm. um they, they probably had a, a great deal of advice behind mm. the scenes and you kind of look from a sort of professional point of view when when you look at it as to did they take much of that advice mm -hmm. um they, they very quickly you know, you can see how quickly the media and the general public will turn on somebody, yeah, and and it's 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 mm -hmm. not a, it's quite oh, scary, gosh, and it's scary, it's yeah. difficult to manage that back. That said, the the last couple of days they have managed to sort of pull that back from the brink. Um, Piers Morgan, as I said, was on the this morning. I was, I was I was listening to him, who was saying, "Well, they just done what they should have done, which was you know turn up to the event and you know do their duty and and then head off again." Um, and maybe there is that perception, I suppose, with the royals fairly or unfairly, that they have. You know they're funded by the the public in order to do their duty and do their job. Mm -hmm. So I, I think maybe when you decide to make those personal decisions and you deviate away from that, you can see how quickly they they sort of step out of that brand mm. persona mm -hmm. that that we would kind of come to expect, I suppose, from the royals. But again, you know, listening to all the the comments on it, um, again, I think it was on Radio Four this morning. They were saying this is a new era for the royals. You know, with them leaving, we'll begin to see a kind of a new a new route for them mm -hmm. um, and it'll be interesting to see how Megan uh, and Harry move um, you know to, to what they're doing yeah. but you know they're not shying away from the limelight in any way at all are they they're still no they're not and and you know what it's it's um you know good good luck to them Absolutely. I think um I just think it's a really interesting discussion to have around them because they do have such I mean huge profile and and in terms of people in the UK celebrities you can think of the fact that you've worked with them I think we you know we do have to have that that conversation I'm not always the biggest supporter of talking about you know royals it doesn't really impact me in my life the same way with celebrities it, it doesn't that's the but, funny thing I have to say I've it's... always been the same and until the visit started happening it was like oh yeah and you, you meet them and they're people and they're lovely and, and they're, they're normal interested folk. yeah and 
and once you meet someone, it's, a di- it's different. It's a it's a connection, yeah, isn't it? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. You're you're trying to make a connection with someone at the moment, aren't certainly you? Am. Certainly, I'm Lewis Capaldi. <laughs> yeah, Lewis Capaldi. Yeah, no, we're um we I'm running this uh, youth program for Social Bite at the moment, which is where it was originally under 18s because they couldn't come to sleep in the park mm-hmm. too young. Uh, they would organise their own sleepouts, whether it's with their parents in the back garden or with the school or with the youth group. It's a lovely idea. Yeah. yeah. And they can do it inside because they're younger. So the idea is that we give them a bit more flexibility. And um, and this year we're adding, so that's called the We Sleep Out, and that's happened the last couple of years. So last December we had 7,300 young people all over Scotland, Orkney Islands, storing away loads <laughs> in Central Belt, obviously. I'm from Doranoch in the Highlands. so. Um, up there. Um, so sleep outs all over Scotland and then this year we're also launching the student sleep out because we're not doing the big sleep outs that we're hosting anymore. You get so much fundraising fatigue with that type of um, <laughs> that type of event because it's exhausting and it's a horrible experience for people to do. So um, yeah, we're not going to do that anymore, but we are going to continue doing the young people sleep outs and I'm adding mm-hmm. on the students of colleges and universities this year. So we're looking at potentially 15,000 um, young people sleeping out and Lewis Capaldi wow. seems like a perfect person to for that I can age see range. Doing that I can with see a, him doing you know, that. With maybe a bottle of Iron Brew yeah, beside yeah, him, just, absolutely. you know. Not Buckfast. <laughs> and it would, it would be <laughs> a video, so he wouldn't have to cut, because you know, they're happening all over Scotland, so he couldn't possibly be at the events, to, <laughs> at would, all 200 events to uh, do the bedtime story, but yeah. I would genuinely love to think that Lewis Capaldi would be listening to this podcast <laughs> <laughs> and say, yeah. But let's just say, <laughs> maybe someone Everyone who knows. Lewis Capaldi. Lewis, maybe Lewis Capaldi's mum. Do they have a sister? I don't oh. know. Um, get in touch. Social bite. Social bite yeah, after. Absolutely. <laughs> we're, we're, get, we're making way through a few different routes at the moment, but we could use every tweet. <laughs> well, there you go. But any, any bit of promotion. We'll get on. I'll get on today and I'll tweet one. I'll tweet <laughs> Thank them for you. you. <laughs> um, I wonder what, what your advice would be, Stephanie, then, to anyone that is either looking to elevate their own profile or that of their brand what you would advise them to do it's a difficult one because it really depends on you know what you do and and you know how you want to get there um <clears throat> i think the, the the key thing is kind of knowing exactly what your purpose is and never losing sight of that i think um you know ultimately uh that there are lots of different avenues that you can take in, in terms of, of profile, but it has to be absolutely tied back to the purpose of, of what your business is and whether you be an individual startup or a scale up or, a, you know, a big brand It's never lose sight of what the purpose is of your business and then structure um, activity around that. So, mm-hmm. you know, that can be traditional media, that can be social media, that can be, you know, the use of celebrities um, It's trying to get a holistic view of exactly who it is you're trying to speak to. And ultimately, I think you can never have too much insight on your audience or who it is you're trying to speak to. Mm-hmm. Other than that, you're sort of, you know, flying around in the dark. I think ultimately, if you if you if you're wanting to promote your brand, you need to know who it is you're speaking to and what it is they're interested in. Mm-hmm. And that comes down to stories. It's, you know, so, you know, the, the sort of the, the dry stuff always works. But, you know, as we're talking about here, it's the it's the really sort of interesting stories that capture people, the people behind that, the faces behind that. So for your own business, it's don't lose sight of that. You know, it's about what do you stand for? And mm-hmm. I think nowadays more than ever, audiences are really t- tapping into what it is that you stand for mm-hmm. as well mm-hmm. as it is as to you know what your product is. Or Yeah, thank you. Because I think that that's a lot about it, it, what's at the core of your identity mm-hmm. and about knowing exactly who you are and making sure that everything else is, from what you're saying, it's everything's in line. In everything line should tie that. back to your purpose. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think some you know tactics are great, but you've got to have a strategy behind that. Mm-hmm. And that strategy, everything should really fall under that 
your mm -hmm. approach to what, why you're doing what you're doing. And I think people do lose sight of that. Um, what about yourself, Alice? What would you what would your advice be? Yeah, I, I don't know because it's never been my driving factor. I guess for raising like your brand's profile, I think it would be like thinking creatively you know, like thinking outside of the box and maybe like lifting your head up out of your business for long enough to think what else is out there that could be worth tying to. Um, but yeah, like, start, you know, the things that we've done, I mean, it has been the celebrity appearances that have brought us mm -hmm. um, the level of credibility that we've had, but also we've had press just because of the work that we do being mm -hmm. so groundbreaking, certainly uh, eight years ago when we started. So um, I think thinking creatively about what you do, how you do it, and, and then, yeah, kind of trying to maybe take some really good time away from the business, just talking like a day or two, mm -hmm. getting your head clear and calm so you can think creatively about the business when you're on the outside of it rather than inside of it. I think, I you know, one of the things that you seem to have done really well is to think big, yeah. you know, think as big as you can yeah. and, and, and aim for that. And I yeah. think that sometimes we kind of manage our own expectations or believe that, you know, we can't do that or, you know, that George Clooney is yes. unattainable. Absolutely. I mean, in a business sense, yeah. purely. He's Absolutely. a married man. So, <laughs> <laughs> you know, you, you, you kind of think you, you, there's no way that we, we could reach yeah. that. And actually, um, you know, it is about maybe thinking a little bit bigger when it comes yeah. to profile as well. Yeah, most You're people. Shining like, example of that. Yeah, most people don't get A-list celebrities because they don't try to get A-list celebrities. Yeah, think big, I yeah. always think. You know, yeah. so when I'm working with people and they say, well, we're never going to get that person, it's mm -hmm. always think big because yeah. you can work back from that. You don't yes. want to be working the other way. Yes, absolutely, exactly what she said. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, we just we always finish on a wee inspo quote, and I wondered if you have one that you would like to share, Stephanie. Hmm. Well, <clears throat> thinking about that, the, the kind of know yourself, know your audience, which I already covered. I think it's really important, and I think from a personal level and personal profile, you, you never lose sight of of what it is you're trying to do. And in terms of career I think that's really important is there'll be a lot of noise there'll be a lot of people that you meet there'll be a lot of of things going on around you but you know ultimately know what it is that you want to do and how you want to get there mm -hmm. and you'll get there yeah for the most part um might be a bit of a struggle on the way but you know it's about um and listening it wouldn't be worth it if it wasn't the struggle and the listening I think is really key you'll again meet lots of people that talk incessantly I think really taking time to listen um, that's not really a quote, is it? I'm giving you. No, listen. I'm loving your advice <laughs> anyway. I'm just. I'm soaking it all up. I'm sponging it in. <laughs> and never stop learning. Because what I'm late forties now, but my mum's a, a shining you example. Really She's don't look. You honestly look incredible. You okay. genuinely yeah. look amazing. Yeah. yeah. But that's why. Well, there'd be no pictures around to see. Got some great headshots to show now. But mm. yeah, I think my mum's eighty-six. She's a shining example of somebody who never stops learning. I mean, she's the yeah. most informed person that I, I know, that. and just absolutely sinks in people you know listening to people and I kind of want to be like her keeps you young doesn't it mm -hmm. just always learning as well and, and uh, Alice you have a quote too yes I do I have um it's a Steve Jobs quote not really sure if Steve Jobs was a good person or not but um <laughs> but his quote good, is brilliant good. um it's a much longer quote than what I'm going to read so I'm going to read just the last half of it but I, I believe it opens with something along the lines of when you're born you're told this is life and you're told to live within the walls of the life that have been created for you but he goes on to say, life can be so much broader once you discover one simple fact, and that is that everything around you that you call life was made up by people who were no smarter than you. And you can change it, you can influence it, you can build your own things that other people can use. And once you learn that, you'll never be the same again. Oh, I love it. And I do agree with but, him. But it's, That's a proper it's quote. True. 
It's a proper <laughs> well, quote. I'm sorry. I read it directly out from my phone. So everyone knows what reading it. Well, it didn't just come on. Yeah. No, but great because that that really does make you realise that everything's achievable. And we do sometimes get into that imposter syndrome area of thinking everyone's much smarter, everyone's more educated, everyone's just better than us, and actually everyone's the same, which does give me a lot of peace as well. Alice Thompson, Stephanie Clark, thank you so much. Thank it's been great so to much. have you. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening. We'd love to hear your thoughts on how Profile can impact your business. Or if you've got any info quotes, I would love to read them out. Get in touch on Twitter at TVZRJ using the hashtag AskForMore or join our Facebook group, Ask For More. 